O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive me. My thoughts, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern me going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for reading, Lori. Those of you joining us online, that was the voice of Lori Charette, who has become worshiping with us over the past few months. Those of you worshiping with us in person, that was also the voice of Lori Charette, who's been worshiping with us over the past. Thanks for laughing, Gary. <laughs> Let's pray as we unfold the scriptures this morning. Oh God of Jesus Christ, give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you've called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work within us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're spending some time this fall really thinking, it'll bleed into the winter, uh, really thinking about spiritual growth and maturity. What does it mean to grow in our faith and to become mature in Christ? Uh, One of the things we know about being a Christian is there's no such thing as a stagnant Christian. There's no such thing as as somebody who's just kind of sitting still. Either we're, we're being drawn closer to God or 
were straying from God. And in, um, even in Revelation 3, uh, Jesus has some word to the church uh, that says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. So we've been thinking about what does it mean to always be growing, to always be maturing, to let God draw us. And we've been looking at the theme of maturity and growth and wisdom through the lens of James. James was Jesus' brother. He wrote a letter to the church. It's in the very back of your Bible. Uh, we're pausing. So James is all about wisdom and growth. Uh, he, he gives us some really practical stuff, but every now and then we're coming up for air and, and looking at some more specific ways that we can grow and mature. Right now, we're taking three weeks to consider what are called contemplative spiritual practices. We call them practices because they're things that we do, and they're things that the more we do, the better we get, just like practicing dribbling a basketball or practicing a musical instrument or um, practicing whatever you might practice, practicing driving. We call them contemplative because uh, just like contemplation, you hear the word contemplation in it, they're slow. They're actually in some ways very inefficient, and that's difficult for us because we want everything to be very efficient. But these are very inefficient, slow, quiet practices that draw us more and more into the presence of God or that make us more aware of God's presence. So last week we talked about listening and listening prayer. What does it look like to pray with a posture of listening to God? This week we're going to think about a practice uh, that's probably new to most of you. It's been new to me over the past six months or so called examine. It's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N, although it sounds like examine, like to examine, like your doctor examines you uh, when you go in for your yearly checkup. It's the same root word. Examine is a process where we invite God into our lives to examine us, so to speak. So kind of like when you go for your yearly checkup and the doctor examines you and they hit you under the knee with that rubber mallet and then they, they check your blood pressure and then they put the stethoscope on you and listen for your lungs. They're examining. They're, they're looking for all the signs of what's going on in her and is she healthy. Examine with an E, this practice, is kind of like that but in this case, we're inviting God, our great physician, to examine us, to search us. You heard that at the end of Psalm 139 that Lori read. Search me, O God, and know my heart. So we're going to think about what does it mean to invite God in to examine us through the process of examine. There are a lot of puns that could happen right there. Just a couple of reminders. Uh, one, we're talking, we're talking about practices and activities, but it's not just about the activity. It's really about the posture of our hearts. And so the, the, the daily, hourly, minute-by-minute posture of our hearts will shape the practice, and the practice will shape the posture but you can have an activity without a posture. And so that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to say this is just something you should do, you know, once a day or twice a day and then you'll grow spiritually. That's not really what Scripture teaches. If, if instead we, we pursue this posture or this mindset, the activity will follow. If we just pursue the activity, the posture may or may not. That's why we want to start from the right point. Secondly, just as we think about this process of examine, we're going to look through the lens of Psalm 139, which Lori read. We're really going to get to the nuts and bolts of it in the second half of our sermon this morning. The first half, we have to, just like before you build a house, you have to pour a foundation, and you have to have something to build the house on. We're going to really pour the foundation, uh, because if you do this with the wrong foundation, your house will be shaky, just like any, any house will. So we're going to start 
with the foundation of examine, and then we'll move to examine. And there are really three kind of keys to the foundation before we even invite God in to search us. Three things that we have to know, and these are things that can be uh, fear-inducing, they can be very scary, or they can be very reassuring. And we'll explore, uh, is this scary for you or is this reassuring for you and why? The three kind of pillars of the foundation are this. One, we have to realize that God knows everything. He knows everything about us personally. Secondly, we have to remember that God is present everywhere. And thirdly, we have to remember that God is for us. We're going to see all of these in Psalm 139, and then we'll get to the examined part. But first, we have to remember, before we even start inviting God into our lives, that he already knows everything. Do you notice how Psalm 139 starts? Oh Lord, you have searched me. You know me, period. You know everything about me. If you have it in your um, program, you can kind of follow along. It, it basically gives you the structure just by following. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Look at this. Now this is, this is what's beautiful about this. It's easy to say, and probably every one of us would say, well, yeah, of course God knows everything. He's God. But we're not talking about abstract knowledge. We're not saying, okay, yeah, God knows like when the leaves are going to fall off the trees, or God knows all about the laws of physics, or he knows all about the events of history. It's easy to distance ourselves and think about God's knowledge as an impersonal thing. But what David says, what King David says in Psalm 139 is God knows everything about you. He knows, he, if you really start thinking about this, this is a little bit unnerving. He knows your thoughts. Is there anybody who knows your thoughts? There are a lot of people we hope don't know our thoughts, but God knows your thoughts. He says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows your words. Verse 4, you, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Which is also scary because he knows the things you're thinking about saying that you haven't even said. Do you really want to let God into that? It says he knows all your actions, even the ones you do when nobody else is around to see. Look at verse 2 again. You know when I sit, when I rise. Verse 3, you discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. In some ways, this is a very basic point. Like, there's not a, <laughs> there's not a whole lot else I can say to explain it. I think we, we get what's going on. But just think for a moment about, <laughs> about the fact that God knows not just everything, but everything about you. Is that a little bit unnerving? He knows all the things about you that nobody else knows. He knows all the things about you. He knows things about you that you don't even know yourself. Is that a little bit unnerving? He knows the things about you that you hope nobody ever finds out about. Is that a relief? Or does it start churning the waters of your soul? That's point one. I'm not going to leave you hanging in a depressing note, I promise. But before we, let's move on. Point two, God is present everywhere. Look at verses seven and eight. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my, my bed in the depths, the Hebrew word for that is sheol, which uh, the Hebrews, for ancient Jews, that was just like death, basically. If I make my bed in death, you are there. 
If I rise on the wings of the dawn, this is just good poetry. If I settle on the far side of the sea, to an ancient Hebrew who just saw the sea and had no idea what's on the far side, no matter where I go, even if I don't know where I am, you are there. Where can you flee? Where can you go to get away from God's presence? It's a trick question, of course. We all, nowhere. Nowhere. And again, this goes hand in hand with what comes before. Because we were tempted to think about this just as a set of abstract propositions. Okay, God is everywhere. So he's here in this room, and he's in my living room, and he's in all of Portsmouth, and he's in Wichita, and he's in Calcutta, and he's in London. And, but that's really not what the psalmist is getting at. Don't, don't let yourself think about God that impersonally. Where's your mind? Figuratively. Where does your mind go throughout the course of the day? When you get stressed out, where does your mind go? David says, God is there. When you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're stressed out, when you're tired, where do you, where do you go? Where does your mind, where does your soul go? In other words, you're never, so if we think about presence, not just as like physically on a map presence, but but concurrent with the state of your soul, you're never not in the presence of God. I mean, look, he expands even more on it in verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light will become night around me. And again, in the ancient world, they didn't have electricity. So when it was dark, it was dark. You had maybe a candle, but you've all held a, a candle, a little candle in a big room. It doesn't do a whole lot. But even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You're never not in God's presence. God knows everything about you. He's with you at every point and every moment. He's present. Does that, does that put you at ease or not? Does it reassure you? Or can you feel like your shoulders and the back of your neck starting to tense up? Which, which your response is, how you respond, really depends on how well you understand the third kind of leg of the foundation, which is this. God knows everything. God is present everywhere. And God is for you. God is for you. This is really good news. Here's why. If, if, think about it. If God is not for you, if you're not sure that God is for you, then when you hear God, is, uh, God knows everything and he's present everywhere, that's incredibly bad news. Because I don't know if he's for me. And we all have the dark corners that we hope nobody finds out about. And if God knows about them, I'm in big trouble. You see? So if you hear those things, if you hear that God is present everywhere and he knows everything and you start getting tense and thinking that's bad news, that's a diagnostic tool, then you've got to start asking, do I really believe, do I really know in, the, in my bones that God is for me? That God wants my good? Again, look at how King David puts it. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We've probably heard that, but, but don't, just because you've heard it before, don't let that distract you from the, the really good imagery that David is using. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
if you're still following, skip down to verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. You've been to the beach this summer? Start counting the sand. David says that God's thoughts for you, for you, outnumber the grains of sand. There's a lot of sand out there. In Ephesians 2, Paul says the same thing. He uses a slightly different language. He says that the Greek word, he says, we're, we're God's poema, which means like craftsmanship. In other words, God didn't slap you together real quick and say, well, that'll do. On to the next one. No, he, he, he painstakingly crafted you. And like a craftsman takes pride in his work or in her work, God takes pride in how he has made you. And he wants to see you flourish. He wants to see you fully alive, as fully human as you can possibly be. He's for you. Do you realize that? Remember, we're situating this this little series, this little like mini-series in the bigger series of James, which is all about becoming more mature and more wise as a Christian. Do you want to become a more, more mature Christian? Do you want to grow? You have to understand these three things. One, God knows you better than you know yourself, better than you dare believe. He's present everywhere, no matter where you are, no matter where your soul is, and he is for you no matter what. With that foundation, now you can begin to lean into God. If you don't have those three pillars, you don't dare ask God, search me and know me. Because what if he finds something that's not so pretty? But if you do have that, then you can say along with King David, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. It's not any of you, right? None of you have any anxious thoughts? See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That's, let's not mince words, that's a dangerous prayer. <laughs> Most of us, if we're honest, like we don't even want to know our own heart. We, if we're honest, probably resonate, like in Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. When we really start thinking about the depths of our heart, it it ought to make us a little bit nervous. We don't want to know it. And we certainly don't want God to know it. But do you want to know God? If God is for you, then you can start praying that prayer without fear of what, might, what he might uncover. See, that's the basis for a sturdy and robust and deep relationship with Christ and not just a flimsy kind of cheap plastic one. Search me, O God, know my heart. Now it's worth, it's worth noting, um, you notice that David ends this psalm almost exactly like he began it? Remember how he began it? O Lord, you have, you have, past tense, you have searched me and you know me. So why would he end by saying, search me? 
In other words, if God already has searched you, why ask God to search you again? If God already knows you, why ask God to know you again? It must not be for God's sake. It must be for his own. It must be for your own. In other words, search me and know me is not just some vague kind of nice platitude about God and how we want God to know us. It only makes that sense to pray that prayer if you, if you dare know yourself. If you dare ask God to, to introduce you to yourself, so to speak, this is what the examine is. It's praying, search me, O God, and know me. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way. That's a danger. See if there's any offensive way within me. We don't want to come face to face with that. Lead me in the way everlasting. There's a, um, a priest father, Dennis Ham. He's a professor at Creighton University in, um, where's Creighton? Nebraska, I think. Omaha. Yeah, Nebraska. Um, here's, here's what he, he was writing about examine, and here's what he writes. This is good. He says, the daily examine is like rummaging for God. It's like going through a drawer full of stuff, feeling around, looking for something that you are sure must be there. It's almost like your soul is the junk drawer, and you pull open the drunk, junk drawer and you start just rummaging around looking. And not just rummaging for God, but inviting God to rummage through you and through your soul. Do you dare? <laughs> Do you dare? As we start thinking about the nuts and bolts of the examine, we have to think about the fact that this is both a posture and an activity. You'll never do the activity if you don't have the posture. So it's important to start with the posture, but as an activity, this is very helpful. A lot of people practice this once a day, some twice a day, once at lunchtime and once at the end of the day. Where you're, what are you doing? You're asking God to search me and know my heart. It doesn't have to be complicated. Let me just lay out a quick process for how this might look. I'm going to lay out a little process. We're going to think about that a little bit. And then um, uh, towards the end of the sermon, uh, we're going to practice it. We're going to take about five minutes and just practice it. And I hope that gives you something to hold on to that you might take home with you. First, we ask God to shed light on our soul. Shine light into the dark corners of your soul. He will, remember what he says, even the darkness is like light to you. Search me and know me. In other words, what we're doing there is we're, we're creating, the, we're recreating or re-entering that posture and saying, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. Secondly, you start slowly thinking through just the past day. If you do this at lunchtime, just that morning, and reflect on what are the events that have happened? What are the conversations I've had? Where are the places I've gone? What are the interactions that I've had with people? What have been my thoughts and feelings? And it's really helpful to start with a posture of thanksgiving. Lord, how can I be grateful to you in this? If all of life is a gift, and grace comes from a Latin word that just means gift, then as we do that, we're constantly asking God to show us his grace in our lives. Then as we think through the day, you'll probably notice, especially over time, when, when kind of focus comes easier and easier, that certain thoughts and emotions surface. Maybe one event will just 
Rise to the surface and sit there, and you won't be able to take your mind off of that. Pay attention to that. That's okay. Notice whether it's an event, whether it's an emotion. Maybe it's an emotion you can't place. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's a feeling that you had. What stands out about it? Pay attention to it. Are you feeling content, grateful, hurt, lonely, scared, bored? Just notice. And as you start thinking back over that, you can start asking God who's illuminating your soul, Lord, where are you present in that moment, in that feeling? In my boredom, where are you, God? In my hurt, where are you? In my gratitude, in my my anxiety, where are you? You might even ask, or it's not so much asking, it's almost like imagining. Some people get really nervous, by the way, when we talk about imagining things in our faith because you can't imagine God. Try it. Imagine, you, what helps me is to, to imagine like actually Jesus right there in that moment. What does he do? What does he say? A lot of times what will come up is pain or hurt or sin. It's very appropriate to ask God to forgive your sin in these moments. And again, when you remember that God is for you, you don't have to be afraid of acknowledging your sin. In fact, if God is for you, he wants, he longs for you to confess your sin so he can forgive it. First John, it says, if, you conf- if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we refuse to confess, it's like a kid who just went and played in a, you know, a dirty, muddy field and then who refuses to let mom give him a bath. And mom wants to, like you want to give your kid, you want your kid to be clean. God wants to forgive. He's for you. And lastly, you can start looking ahead to the next day. You can ask God to be with you. You can ask God to be present with you, although he already is, so maybe even a better prayer is for him to help you to to know that he's present, to be aware of his presence. This could get very depressing, which is why it's so important to remember that God is for you. The goal is not to rush into judgment or self-immolation or flagellation and to just think, man, I'm just such a, such a rotten, wicked. Some people, you know, you know these people, right? Some people just, they can never kind of pick themselves up out of the, the spiritual ditch. Man, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. That's not the goal. In fact, the goal is to experience the cleansing of Jesus. He wants you to grow. And the more we're aware of his presence, the more we know his knowledge, the more we know that he's for us, the more you will grow. The wiser you'll become, the more mature a Christian you'll become. We know this is true because Jesus gives it to us. It's not, see, all, none of this is natural to us. You notice that, right? Like it's, it's been uncomfortable a little bit for me to write. It may be uncomfortable to hear because when we start talking about really examining our souls, we want to run from that. When I'm confronted with something that I don't like about myself, my nature, and maybe you're like me, is not to lean into that but to back away from it and run away. 
Are you like that at all? It's not our nature to confront those dark, cobweb-filled corners of our life. There's one person whose nature it was. It's God's own son, Jesus Christ, who didn't have those dark corners. Jesus, if anybody understood that God was, God knew everything, it was Jesus because he was God himself. If there was anybody who lived in God's presence perfectly, it was Jesus. If there was anybody who understood that God is for him, it was Jesus Christ. And I've kind of hinted at it. I haven't said it explicitly, but one way you might think about maturity is that maturity leads to life. Is there anybody who was more fully alive and more mature than Jesus Christ? And yet Jesus took his maturity and wisdom and life and sacrificed it. He gave it up when he hung on the cross. When he asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the person, the one who was most aware of God's presence with him all of a sudden felt the complete absence of God's presence. Why? So that you can know right now that God is for you and he is present with you. Not in judgment, not as a, just a, a, a purely wrathful, I'm going to crush the wicked God, but as a God who has crushed your wickedness by crushing his son, it says in Isaiah 53, who gave himself so that you might have life. None of this is possible without the cross. If you try to do this without the cross of Jesus Christ, you will descend into nothing but depression. But when you're confronted with your sin and remember that my sin has been paid for already, you won't be crushed, you'll become alive. The goal of this is maturity and wisdom and life and it's found through Jesus Christ. So as we close, let's try this. We're going to take, I don't know, about five minutes. I don't have a watch, so I'm going to guess. <laughs> it's always dangerous when preachers guess about how much time is left. And I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. I'm going to leave a fair amount of space in between each question and just kind of follow those prompts and, and see what the Lord does. See if he does something. And if you want to share about it or process about that afterwards, you can talk to someone you came with or I would love to hear about it too. But let's try it right now. And then I would urge you, continue to just try it and see what happens. Take a few moments as we start to to be still. As much as you can to quiet your soul. If there are a lot of voices shouting from all directions inside, ask God to miraculously silence those voices. (coughs) Tell God you want to hear from him. want to receive him.
as I read the end of Psalm 139. Pray this silently in your mind as I read it aloud. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Now start thinking over the past 12 to 18 hours. What events happened? Where did you go? Who were you with? What conversations did you have? What thoughts and feelings did you experience? Over the past 12 to 18 hours, where have you seen the grace of God? Take a moment and thank him for that. As you've got a little bit of a mental catalog of those events and people and conversations, does one of those rise to the surface? Maybe you see someone's face. Maybe you remember someone's words. Maybe you remember your own words. Maybe you remember a feeling. How are you feeling right now as you bring that to mind? Ask God to help you to lay that feeling at his feet. As you give that, as you offer that to God, what do you imagine he says to you? Here you might imagine Jesus sitting in the pew next to you and saying something. What does he say?
If any of this has churned up a sense of weakness or of sin, offer that to him, and if it's sin, confess it to him. Tell him you're sorry. When you confess that, what does Jesus say to you? What does he do? Does he take an action? Hear the words of Jesus to the woman at the well in John, in the Gospel of John, as he says, neither do I condemn you. Maybe with a soft smile, he adds, go and sin no more. Now look ahead to the coming day, the rest of this afternoon, maybe. You have plans? Who are you going to see or who are you going to be with? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Ask God to make you aware of his presence in every moment, even the inconsequential and boring moments. Thank God that he is for you. Is there anything else you want to say to him?